Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6. Proverbs 22 verse 6. The Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child. Train up a child. And that's what we want to talk about for just a little while here today. And I will be watching the time and I'll try to hurry uh, to the best of my ability. Um, train up a child. Proverbs 22 verse 6. Let's put our Bibles down and let's lift our hands and lift our voices and let's ask the Lord to talk to us today. Could we do that everybody? Let's, let's talk to the Lord right now. Would you ask God to speak to you? Ask God to talk to your heart today. Everybody, everybody. Let's praise him one more time before we're seated, could we? Everybody, let's praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Um, as I said, I'm going to try my best to, to uh, cover this. Uh, as quickly as possible so that we can get to that moment of dedication which is so crucial and I don't want us to be rushed at that moment but I do feel like there are some things the Lord would like to convey to us today from his word you know as I look at the disciples of the Lord prior to the day of Pentecost of course prior to Pentecost they didn't have the Holy Ghost the Bible said the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified so these were men that were still in their carnal state of mind I'm telling you without the power of the Holy Ghost that's what you've got is a carnal mind it's what we're born with is a carnal mind and it's only the power of the Holy Ghost that can change our perspective and our thoughts. And so I look at these men and, and they're being trained by the Lord and they're being taught by the Lord. And yet there are some things about their perspective that obviously he had to keep working on up until that time when he turned everything over to them. And one of the things that I see in these men was that they seemed to have a sense, Brother Brandon, they seemed to have a sense that it was their duty to keep people from wasting the master's time you know they just thought there were some things that Jesus was just too busy to be bothered with that's right we read in in Matthew chapter 15 uh, verses 22 and 23 L listen to this Matthew 15 verses 22 and 23 and behold a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him saying have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples, and his came, disciples came and besought and him, besought him saying, saying, send her, send away, her away. For she crieth, for after, she crieth us. after us. She's bothering us. She's trying to take up our time. 
Now look, this woman's got a devil-possessed daughter. I know sometimes, parents, we all wonder. <laughs> but, but look, there's no wondering about this. This girl had a devil, all right? She had a devil, and she needed deliverance. But when she went to the one person that could help her, here are the disciples saying, Lord, just get rid of her, get rid of her. She's bothering us. She's taking up our time. Now, I know that she was a Gentile. I know that was part of it. They were prejudiced. That was another reason they needed the Holy Ghost. The Bible says that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Well, hallelujah. Now, these Jews hated the Gentiles. And, and, and so that was part of the problem. But I think there was more to it than that. And I'll, I'll prove that to you in the next passage we read. I think that even if this woman had been a Jew, the disciples would have still felt the same way about it. She's worried about her daughter. Just send her away. We don't have time for kids. You don't think that's how they felt? Let, let's, let's look Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. And they brought young children to him. They brought young children. That he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked and those. And his disciples rebuked those. That brought them. That brought them. But when Jesus. Now these were not Gentiles. These were Jews that were bringing their kids to the Lord. And the disciples rebuked them for doing it. Read. But when Jesus, but when saw, Jesus it, saw it. He was much he was displeased. Much displeased. And said to them, and he said to them, suffer the little or, or children. That word means permit, permit these little children to come to me, to come to me, and forbid them not. Forbid them not. For of such, for of is, such the is the of kingdom God. of God. Verily I say unto you, and truly I tell you, whosoever shall not receive shall the kingdom, not of, receive God as a the kingdom child, of God the same way a little child would receive it, he shall not enter. You're not even going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, this is what Jesus said. I'm not making this up. This is what Jesus said. Read. And he took them and up in his arms. And he took them. Who? Those little children. He took those little children in his arms. And put his, and hands, he upon put his hands upon them. And blessed them. And he blessed them. I'm telling you, it appears to me that the disciples looked at this as an absolute waste of the Lord's time. He had too many other things to do. There were too many other things that took precedent over trying to deal with little kids that couldn't really add anything to the kingdom. They, they, they can't do anything for the kingdom. They, they can't give in the offerings it's hard to preach prosperity gospel when your congregation's a bunch of kids well we got we got more important fish to fry jesus we we, we got more important things to do than to waste our time on these little kids well that's the way they felt and so this is what it said read verse 13 again and they brought young children. When they to him, brought their young children to him, that he should touch, wanting them. him to touch them. And his disciples, his rebuked disciples those that brought rebuked them. those that brought them. This word "rebuke" means to chide, to reprove, to censure uh, severely, to admonish or charge sharply. I'm telling you, it wasn't just that the disciples didn't like it. They're standing up telling these parents, "Get these kids out of here." Right. 
What do you think you're doing? We don't have time for this. We're too big. We're too important to worry about kids. But look at the attitude of the Lord when he saw this in his disciples. Uh, read verse 14. But when Jesus saw when it, Jesus saw it, he was much he displeased. was much displeased. Now that's the way the King James gives it. But but the the word the, the Greek word literally means he was indignant. You understand what indignant means? He, he was he was extremely angry over something he considered unjust, offensive, or insulting. Jesus said, you've just insulted these kids. You've just insulted these parents. And I'm going to tell you, Jesus is not portrayed often in the scripture as getting angry. He got angry when they set up their tables to try to sell merchandise in the house of God. He got angry over that. But he also got angry when somebody said, we don't have time for kids around here. Well, hallelujah. I'm going to tell you, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that people didn't have that attitude when I came to church in 1972. I was at the funeral this week, the church knows, of, of my first pastor's wife. And, and I'm telling you, I was so touched just to be back there, to see he's still alive. 90, he'll turn 94 in just a few days. Uh, she was 88 when she passed away. Uh, really wasn't much of a crowd there. You know, most of their peers are already gone on. and Very small crowd. But I told my wife, I said, there may have been a small crowd to say goodbye. But I promise you, I believe there was a huge host on the other side saying welcome home and you don't want to know why not just because of me but listen because they took an interest in a 12 year old boy who had nothing to offer my family was poor we didn't have money to give to the church we didn't have one thing we could offer but those people loved this little boy and they took care of me and they made sure I got to church and they taught me the scripture they took an interest in me and because of that I'm making four trips a year to Africa and we're seeing thousands that are coming into the trip Listen, I'm telling you, the world may not recognize what that lady did, but heaven knows. They may never have pastored a mega church. That's right. And they didn't. Now, we did see great revival in those times. My mom's here and she can testify to the fact, but when I started attending that church, we were running 15 this was in a town of 700, and uh, we were running 15, but, but within a short period of time, probably a year, year and a half, we shot up over 100. Now look, 100 members in a town of 700, that's pretty good if you ask me. That's pretty good. Amen. We were literally on the wrong side of the tracks and moved out onto the highway and built a brand new building. We saw great revival there, but it never really developed into a mega church. All right. So, so their name's not well known and they weren't people that, that everybody was talking about. I don't know that he ever preached a conference anywhere, but that doesn't matter. You know what's important to me? What's important to me was when I had nothing to offer and I was nobody, I was just a poor little kid, preteen. Somebody loved this kid. And I'm pastoring today because somebody loved a kid. And I'm telling you, as long as I remain pastor of New Life Pentecostal Church, and I plan to do that to the day I retire, as long as I'm here, I'm going to tell you right now, we're always going to have an interest in kids. 
we're always going to take an interest in young people. Stand up, stand up, stand up, Jaheim. Jerome, stand up. Stand. You, know, you, know how, you know why these young men are in the church today? Because somebody took an interest in them when they were just little boys. Somebody made it a point to make sure they got to church when they were just little. But now here they are serving God, working for God. Thank God somebody cares about kids. It's not a waste of our time. Sunday school's not a waste of our time. Picking up kids on a bus or a van is not a waste of our time. Jesus was offended at an attitude that said we don't have time for kids. Well, now Jesus didn't get offended at much, but according to scripture, he was offended at that. So he, when he saw it, when he saw it, verse 14, when he saw it, he was much displeased. He was, he was indignant. Read. And said to them. And he said to them. Suffer the little children to come to me. This, this should be verse 14 up here. Suffer the little children to come to me. That word suffer means to allow or to permit. But it really goes much deeper than that. And I want you to hear this this morning. Because really the word suffer means it, it, it carries this connotation that you relinquish all right to interfere. All right? I get that. When he said suffer the children to come, he said don't you do anything that would stand in their way to keep them from being at the house of God. Well, I could preach for just a little while this morning. I don't know if you want me to, if you want me just to go ahead and dismiss and let's go eat. But I'm going to tell you, we need to understand something. Jesus said don't interfere with children being in the house of God. Now I want to ask you mom and dads that are here today, I want to ask you, how are they going to get here if you're not willing to bring them? You know, I'm going to tell you what the biggest problem in America is. We're more interested in sending our kids to church than we are in taking them to church. Well, somebody ought to help me here this morning. I remember some years ago I was pastoring in, in Texas and, and uh, we were having a big problem with juvenile delinquency and, and the whole city was in an uproar because kids were going late at night and breaking into buildings and, 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 and spray painting uh, facilities and doing all kinds of damage and so they called this big city meeting and brought the whole city council together and the mayor was there and all the dignitaries there and they're talking about what are we going to do to fix this juvenile delinquency problem and so they, they spent a lot of time talking about building a new uh, jail for, for, the, for the teenagers and, and a place to put them and lock them up. And, and, and then somebody else said, no, you know what, what they really need, they, they, need a, they need a gymnasium that's open through the night so that when they're out roaming the streets, well, they can go in there and play ball and get rid of some of this energy. And I, I mean, just all kinds of ideas. And, and I sat there listening to all this, just scratching my head, thinking these guys are a million miles off base. And finally, when I looked up, because I, I was making notes, I was, I'm telling you, I, you know, this is one of those times the preacher in me started rising up. And I'm making notes, and I'm making notes, and I'm, I'm listening to everything they're saying, and I'm making notes. And finally, I look up, and the mayor's got the gavel in his hand. He's about to call the meeting to a close. And I said, just a moment. Can I say something? He said, yes, sir. I said, I want to tell you something. 
The answer to our problem is not a juvenile uh, delinquency center. That's not the answer. Locking them up doesn't fix the problem. And I want to tell you, an all-night basketball court is not going to fix the problem. I said, I'm going to tell you what the problem is. The problem is mamas and daddies don't want to live a Christian life in front of these kids and show them what they need. Mamas and daddies don't mind sending them off to vacation Bible school or sending them to Sunday school so they got a babysitter so they can sleep in. But what needs to happen is mama and daddy need to take some responsibility. I said the reason that these young people are out fornicating is because mom and daddy have got their boyfriends and girlfriends on the side. The reason these kids are out doing drugs is because mom and daddy have got the alcohol and the pills in their cabinets. I said what this city needs is not a, a, a juvie center. What this city needs is not another basketball court. What this city needs is an old-fashioned revival. If they can't get here and you don't bring them, then you have not relinquished your right to keep from interfering. Well, you don't need to do anything to interfere from getting your kids to the house of God. Well, praise God. Now, I know that's not popular, but look. I'm a dinosaur, all right? I'm just a dinosaur. I've, I've outlived, I guess, my use, usefulness in this world because I just don't see things the way that, they used to, that, that they're seeing them now. I, I'm stuck in the past somewhere. But all I'm doing is preaching exactly whatever preacher used to preach. That's right. I'm not coming up with something new. I'm hanging on to the old path. I'm telling you, what we need is mamas and daddies that fall in love with Jesus once again. What we need is mamas and daddies that understand God gave me this little baby and my responsibility now is to get him to Jesus. I got to get this baby to Jesus as quick as I can get him there. And I want him in Jesus' presence every chance I get. I want my baby to grow up knowing what the presence of God is. I want my baby to grow up knowing what prayer is. I want my baby to grow up knowing what Bible study is all about. I want my baby to grow up listening to a preacher preach and listen to singers sing under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. I want my baby in the presence of God. I don't want to hinder my kids from their relationship with the Lord. Hallelujah. Now look, Jesus, really what he was doing is he was rebuking them. They had just rebuked the parents. And Jesus turned around and rebuked the disciples. You don't think so? Let's, let's, let's read uh, Amen. Well, uh, go down to go to Luke eighteen and fifteen. I want to show you th these are not just these are not just these are not just preteens, adolescents, whatever they call them these days. Uh, 
But, but, but look, at, look, at, look at what it says, Luke 18, 15. Look, they brought unto him. They brought unto him also what? infants. Infants. That he would touch them. These weren't just 10, 11, 12-year-olds. These were infants that had no other way of getting to the Lord's presence unless mama or daddy brought them there. And the disciples felt like that was a waste of time. But Jesus said, don't you do one thing that would hinder them from coming into my presence. Don't you do one thing. Look to the Jews. They had been taught eight days, eight days after a male child's born, you get him into the temple. And he's going to be circumcised there. And he's, he's going to have his first experience with the religion of Judaism at eight days old. It had been a custom for centuries to get those kids into the house of God as early as possible. Do you know when it was that Hannah brought Samuel to the house of the Lord? The Bible said as soon as she had weaned him. I don't know how old he was, but he must not have been too old. But she brought him to the house of God and said, I have lent him to the Lord. He's not mine anymore. He's God's. Just freshly weaned. I'm going to tell you something, parents. We wait too long to try to get our kids into the presence of God. I've heard too many parents say, well, I'm going to let them choose. Well, I'm going to let them decide. I don't want to force them into religion. Yeah, and you want to know what the end result of that is? The end result's exactly what just happened in Canada. Anybody see that? I said I wasn't going to get on this, but then I clarified and said I don't think. So that gave me an out. Did you see what happened in Canada? Where that mom slash dad slash whatever does not want the birth certificate to reflect boy or girl. They want a, they want a gender neutral, not really neutral, but unspecified gender on the birth certificate of that baby. And it said it would be the world's first. Now look, I'm just telling you that's the end result of this whole attitude that I'm just going to let my kids decide. Do you let them decide whether they go to school or not? Do you let them decide whether or not they're going to bed at night? Now some parents do. And I got three words for you. Shame on you. Don't you come crying to pastor when you don't have any control over them, when you've let them grow up all their lives doing whatever they wanted to do. You've set no restraints. You've set no goals. You, you put no limits on them. And then you want me to fix this monster. I can't undo what 18 years of letting them do what they want. In fact, I'm way ahead of myself in my notes. I might as well get there because my time's going to run out anyhow. Let, let's, let's, go down, let's go down to uh, Proverbs 22, 6 again. Look at my text. We'll, we'll get there because that's where I'm at. So I might as well just go ahead and go there. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child. Train up a child. In the way he should in go. In the way he should go. And when he is and old, when he's old, he will he not, will depart, not from depart from it. Now, this is an interesting verse of Scripture. Because first of all, it didn't say teach a child the way he should go. Do you see that? It doesn't say teach a child the way he should go. But it says to train him. 
You know, there's a difference between teaching and training. Teaching is generally the verbal uh, expression of rules and facts and, and, and giving uh, information. It is passing information along. That's what teaching is. But to train somebody, you got to get in there with them. You got to show them how to do it. That's right. I've heard lots of people say, well, I know my child's going to come back to God before they die. Because the Bible said if I train them up the way they should go, then the winner. And I always made sure they were in church. I always made sure they're in church. That's not what it's saying. You can send them to church and they can be taught. But you know what they need more than that? When they get home, they need to be trained. They need mama and daddy to live a life in front of them that doesn't just explain the rules. It shows them how it's done. All right, I'm going to lose some of you right about now, but, but I'm going to keep on plowing, praise God. Hallelujah. Just knowing the rules of a game is not enough. You got to get out there on the court with them. You got to show them how to handle that ball. You got to show them how to shoot that ball. Well, and I'm telling you, just giving your kids the Ten Commandments or just reading them a few Bible stories once in a while is not what this verse is telling you. This verse is saying you, as a Christian, ought to live a life in front of them. Demonstrate to them what Christianity is all about. I'm not bragging, I'm not bragging, but I'm going to tell you, I think one of the highest compliments I have ever had in my life is when one of my daughters stood up and, and, and said to me, she said, I have learned about the love of God because of the love you have shown me as a father. Look, I'm not patting myself on the back and I hadn't been perfect, but I'm telling you, that's our goal. We want to demonstrate to our children, not just teach them what's right. We want to train them in what's right. Is anybody hearing this preacher right now? I can't just tell them now, you go say your bedtime prayers. I'm going to tell you what I need to do. I need to get down there beside the bed with them and I need to teach them. I need to train them. I need to show them how to pray. You can't just say, all right, all right, Sean, you're sitting, and I'm not picking on the Reedus's, but all right, Sean, you're sitting on the front row. Why aren't you running the aisles? Why aren't you dancing? Why aren't you clapping? No, you know what? Mama was out here running the aisles earlier today. Now listen, she was doing it to worship God, but without even realizing that she was doing more than just worshiping God, she was also training her son. This is the way you worship God, son. This is the way that you do it. Don't expect your kids to dance before God if you never move your feet. Don't expect your kids to shout with a voice of triumph if you sit there like a bump on a dill pickle every time you come to church. Come on, mamas and daddies. We got to train our kids. They need to see you with that Bible in front of you, reading the scriptures. Well, praise God. I'm going to tell you, I didn't ever, 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 and I know for, for my kids, I've, I started pastoring at 24, 
and uh, my my oldest uh, was a little over two, I think, when I started pastoring. So for all their lives, uh, they've known me as a pastor. But 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 it wasn't just because I was a pastor. But even when we're on vacation or whatever's going on, I never wanted my kids to ever ask, are we going to church? I never wanted them to ask that question. So you know what I did? I just made sure every chance I had, I was in church. I made sure they knew, not through my words, but by my example, how important the house of God was to me. Well, praise God. Amen. I'm talking about training them. You train them. The Bible says, however you train them, they won't depart from that when they're old. Now, now look, I know it says in the way he should go is the way that the King James renders it. And I'm not, I'm not attacking the King James. Obviously, I believe in it. I wouldn't be using it. But I will tell you, I think sometimes in, in the process of time since 1600 when it was translated, we've lost some things in modern day English all right is that all right for me to say that so so let me just tell you that really what it's saying is not in the way he should go so much as it is you train him in his way that's a better way to render it and what that means is that whatever you train that child to do as a child is what they're going to do as an adult right you know you can take a tree and when it's a sapling, you, you can tie a string to it and bend it a certain direction. And you know what's going to happen? It's going to grow just like you bit it. But you're not going to get out there to an oak and start trying to bend it. Once it's been allowed to grow, it's set. Well, hallelujah. And I'm telling you, this is what this verse, this verse Really, it, it does contain a promise, but it also contains a warning that however you train the child, that's the way the child is going to grow up. So if you train them, the church is not important. Prayer is not important. Worship's not important. You train them that way, then don't expect them at the age of 18 to suddenly wake up and say, man, I want to go to church today. No, they're going to live exactly what you've trained them to live. Now, I do want to throw this out there, but for one exception, and that's the grace of God. Because we all know of people that were brought up one way, but God's grace stepped in and turned it all around. Thank God for that. Thank God it's not hopeless. But I am telling you, it's going to be a whole lot harder for them to do what's right if you don't train them to do what's right when they are young. Start them out on the right path. Start them out on the right path. You know, when my, when my grandbabies were born, and, and Brother Brandon can testify, my wife can testify, the first time I got to hold that little baby, whether it's boy or girl, I'm going to tell you, I can tell you right now, the first words they ever heard Grandpa speak. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. I wanted that to be the first thing that my grandbabies ever heard Grandpa say. I want to do what I can to start helping them to grow the way God wants them to grow. 
I'm going to tell you, it thrills me when I see those grandbabies grab up something. I, I, we were in Colorado for a few weeks with my youngest, and, and little Jax is, is what, a year, 15 months old, and his daddy had bought him a little toy golf club, little little plastic golf club, and, and, and it's got a big big uh, head on it, and he would pick that up, and instead of playing golf, he'd put that head up to his mouth, and he'd just start preaching. That was his microphone. And I've taught him, Brother Brandon, I've taught him to hold that finger up and say, One God. And he'll get that microphone and he'll say, One God. Hallelujah. That's what I want to do. I want to train them right. I want to do everything I can, not just to teach them, but to train them. I want them to know that grandpa prays. I want them to know that grandpa studies his Bible. I want them to know that grandpa loves God. I want them to know that grandpa loves the house of God. And I want my kids passing that on as well. We want to train these kids. Train them up. You know what it means? Listen, that, that, that phrase, train, to train, to train. The, the connotation behind that Hebrew word is to touch the palate or to whet the appetite. The Hebrew mamas, you know, this was, this was back before the days of blenders and, and uh, Gerber. And when they wanted to start introducing something besides just milk to the baby, you know how they did that? They, they, they took a lesson from nature. And mama would take that food and she'd chew it up real good. And all the kids are saying, oh, thank God for blenders and Gerber. <laughs> but mama would chew it up and chew it up and chew it up until it was soft. And then she would take it and put it back at the roof of his mouth, back at the palate, just a little bit at a time until at some point that little one started liking that taste. To touch the palate, to whet the appetite. Mama had to create an appetite for that baby as to what she wanted that baby eating. And that's what this verse is saying when it says train up a child. It's saying you whet the appetite. What do you want for your child? Do you, are you just trying to make them successful in the world? If that's what you whet their appetite for, then that's what they're going to spend their life pursuing. But if you'll whet their appetite for the things of God when they are young, if you'll start training them when they're just babies, and you'll let them know there's nothing better than feeling what we've been feeling right here. This is better than the applause of men. This is better than bright lights and your name up on the marquee. Come on, somebody, help this preacher for just a few more minutes. I'm telling you, getting into the presence of God is the greatest thing. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Hallelujah. I don't want my kids following Hollywood. I don't want my kids following the rock stars. Their lives are twisted and perverted, but I do want them to get their eyes on a man of God or a lady of God. I want them to get their eyes on somebody that's serving God. I want them to whet their appetite for the things of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Praise God. I love to see Camden doing what he's doing last night. 
He grabs a little microphone. He's up here working on the sound system. And uh, I don't know how much time they spent, but I appreciate him doing it. And uh, uh, Camden, Camden was up here. He was on the platform. He had him a microphone. And, uh, you know, he gets to preaching. He gets to singing. He's, he, he just loves it. That's what I like. I'd much rather, I would much rather them be imitating a preacher or a gospel singer than Madonna or whoever the latest perverted musician is. That's right. I don't want, I don't want to whet their appetite for that. I'll tell you, when they get in my car, you know what they're going to hear? They're going to hear gospel music. I, look, I, I, want to, I want to do what I can do to whet the appetite so that as they grow, this is the only thing they know. This is all they experience. Oh, preacher, you've got to give them a choice. No, they've got a choice. That's right. They've got a choice. You can live for God or you can be lost. That's the choice. So I want to whet their appetite to where they want to live for God, to where they want to be everything God wants them to be. It's not about how big their paycheck is. It's not about how many newspapers carry their name in the headline. I'll tell you what it is. It's when heaven rejoices every time they fall to their knees. It's when the angels start circling, saying we're about to have a job to do. Cause that little one is praying. I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of parents that raised their children right and at young ages those children prayed prayers of faith and mama and daddy were healed. Oh, hallelujah. That's what I'm preaching about this morning. That's what I'm talking, that's what I have felt burning in my heart today. Amen. We got to train our children. Don't expect them to get it out of one or two or even three services a week at church. Now they're going to get some things here, thank God. And the church is important. And the apostle said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It's a matter of some is. But so much the more as you see that day approaching. So I'm not downplaying church attendance. But I'm going to tell you, it shouldn't be two different worlds. It shouldn't be one world when they're in the church. And another world when they're at home. Oh, well, I didn't charge you anything for this sermon, so you can't ask for your money back. Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. I'm just telling you today, this is what I have felt stirring in my heart for a couple of days. It's been a while since I've had the opportunity to just preach to parents. And, 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 and I felt so strong that I needed to take some time today and talk to every parent in this house and let you know your number one obligation. That child really is not yours. It's God's. You may have created a physical body, but you didn't create that soul. God's the one that put life in that baby. Well, God's the one that put life in that baby. And that baby is God's. Now, he has entrusted that baby to your care. you got to raise him or her the way God wants them raised. Oh, i gotta, I got to come to a close. And I can't help but think about Moses. I'm skipping over so much here. I'm skipping over so much here, but I can't help but 
Think about Moses. Uh, let's go down to Hebrews. We're skipping over a lot. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 29. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. His parents hid him for three months? Because they saw he was a proper child. Uh -huh. And they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Uh -huh. By faith, Moses, Moses, when he was come to years. Now look, this, this is a big jump. This is a big jump. From his first three months to when he matured. His first three months, his parents were not afraid of the king's commandment. They did what they knew God wanted to be done. And then when he becomes a man, when he's come, when he has come of years, read. Refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused. Now look, he'd been raised. He was still nursing when Pharaoh's daughter took him into the palace. Hello. And, and yet when he grew up, he let it be known. That's not my mama. That's not my mama. I'm not an Egyptian. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to Choosing suffer, rather affliction, with to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. Now look, you understand, you understand. I think we skip over what this verse really is telling us. The choice he had was he could live as a slave, which is what his people were. Or he could live as a prince. That's the choice. He had the choice. If I'm going to call myself a Hebrew, that means I'm going into slavery. But I can be a prince and walk these ivory halls and have everybody bowing down to me and everybody come when I snap my fingers. But Moses said, no, because that's not who I am. He chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Read. Esteeming the reproach Esteeming of Christ. Esteeming the reproach of Christ. Greater riches, greater riches than the treasures, than the treasures in, Egypt. in Egypt. As the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he had an inheritance coming. A big inheritance coming. And he gave it all up. Read. For he had respect, had respect unto the recompense of the reward. I'm not interested in what Pharaoh can give me. I'm interested in what God can give me. Read. By faith he forsook By faith, Egypt. He forsook Egypt. Not fearing the wrath, not of, the fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured. He endured. As seeing him as who is seeing somebody bigger than Pharaoh. Read. Through faith he kept the Passover. Through faith he kept and the, the Passover. Sprinkling of blood. Lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Uh-huh. By faith they passed through the Red passed Sea the Red as sea. by dry land, dry land, which the Egyptians assaying to do were dry. Now look, how did Moses make such difficult choices? How did he make those choices as an adult? When he was handed over to Pharaoh's daughter, not even weaned yet. He'd been schooled in Egypt. He'd gone to their schools. He'd been taught their language. He'd been taught their philosophy. He'd been taught their religion. But yet he knew who he was. And he made choices not based on what the world would think of him. But on what he knew was right. 
how did he do that I'll tell you there's only one way he could have made those choices and that was during that time when Moses mama was being hired to be a nursemaid to Moses when little Moses came home from school after all of the, of the teachers and the instructors had filled his head full of garbage, the ancient Egyptians believed that the world hatched from an egg. That's really not much more stupid than to believe that a couple of particles of dust collided and we ended up with what we got. I mean, it's easier to believe that there was some egg. It came from somewhere. Right? Some big bang threw everything into order. But when they got through filling his head full of garbage and he got home in the evening, mama set him down and said, now, son, let me tell you something. Whatever they've said to you, it's not true. When they've told you about the sun God and the moon God and the river God and the frog God and the whatever else, and they go through all their hundreds of gods, she said, son, it ain't true. You listen. And that woman, you can go ahead and call her mama, but she's not your mama. You're looking at your mama. And don't you ever forget, they may dress you like an Egyptian when you don't have a choice. They may make you speak their language. They may make you go to their schools. But don't you ever forget this, son. You are a Hebrew. You are somebody special. You're more important than this palace. You've got a bigger job to do than to sit on Pharaoh's throne. I'm telling you, mama was training Moses. While the Egyptians were teaching him, mama was training him. And when the time came and he stood at the crossroads and he said, I got to make a choice right now. Am I going to continue to pretend I'm an Egyptian or am I going to let this world know who I really am? Moses didn't have to think about it. He didn't have to go on a seven day fast. He didn't have to call 20 counselors and ask them what to do. When it came time to make a decision, the decision was already made. Because all the teaching in the world couldn't undo the training that mama had put in him. Come on, new life. I'm telling you, this is the message I believe God wants us to get today. We got to train our children. They're subject to all kinds of nonsense in this world, but we can train them. When we get them home, we can train them. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Train up a child. Train up. Train up a child. Show him so that when he gets ready to make a decision, he knows which way to go because he's watched mama and daddy make those decisions now let me let me throw this and i'm i've got to come to a close sister becca if you'll come i'm i hadn't near covered what i needed to cover but i don't have any time left so i read a story some time back very disturbing story about a young boy who attended a Sunday school. His mom and daddy didn't go with him, but he went. 
And this has been, man, 80 years ago, I guess. He would go into that Sunday school class and every teacher that he had hated to see him come because he created so much problems. He made it tough for every Sunday school teacher that he encountered until finally, finally after enough of the teachers had complained about him, the Sunday school superintendent went to him and looked at him and he said, son, there's the street. Go and don't you ever come back to this Sunday school. And he never came back. But they did hear from him again. Because he went on to a career of crime and bloodshed that at least in America has probably never been equaled even to today. And finally, just outside a theater entrance in Chicago one evening, his body was riddled with bullets. He got his picture. In the paper. But it was an unusual picture. Because only the feet of this dead criminal is what was showing. And under that picture of his feet. The blanket over the rest of his body. The caption simply said these are the feet of John Dillinger. But one of the editors commented and said, who knows where these feet might have gone if someone had guided them right. If someone had just guided them right. Look, I, I, I don't buy into this that, as I said, that there's no hope for us if we've been raised badly, that's, that's one of the biggest lies the devil's ever foisted upon the human race. To say that, all right, your daddy's an alcoholic, then you're going to have to be an alcoholic. Your mama was immoral, then you've got to be immoral. I'm telling you, that's a lie from the devil. Because of God's grace. And I want to say to you young people today, if your mom and daddy didn't, train you up the way you needed to that doesn't mean you're locked into what you've watched all your life because of God's grace and it's not going to take a counselor and a psychologist and a psychiatrist to get you out of all that and you don't need AA and you don't need a 12 step program what you need is just a few steps to an altar a repent of your sins let God fill you with the Holy Ghost. Be baptized in Jesus' name. I'm telling you, God can break the chains of those generational curses. God is stronger than a generational curse. But to the parents, I want to tell you something. I'm talking to kids who didn't 
get the opportunity to have their parents hear what I'm preaching today. But you parents are hearing me. So don't think you're going to be able to raise your kids as heathens. And then when they turn 18, they're going to choose God because of God's grace. It doesn't quite work that way. But I'm going to tell you, you're bending that tree the way you want it to go. You don't want to wait and hope they find the grace of God. Because I've dealt with way too many that weren't even interested in God's grace because of the way mom and daddy raised them. So you know what needs to happen? We need to leave this service today with a brand new resolve. I'm not just going to teach my children what's right. I'm going to train them by my actions. I'm going to show them by the way I live what's the right way to go. And if I'll train them in the way they need to go, then when they're old, they're never going to be able to get away from it. They might try to stray, but I'm telling you, they'll never be happy. If they've been raised right, they're never going to be happy until they're right back to the way they've been trained. Not taught, trained. Let's stand this morning. Let's lift our hands. Oh, oh, if I only had some more time this morning. And I think every parent in this building ought to make a fresh commitment right where you are. You ought to make a fresh commitment right where you are. Every grandparent needs to make a fresh commitment right where you are. God, I don't want to just tell my kids what's right. I don't want to just tell my grandkids what's right. I want them to see it in my life. I want to train them on how to do it. Well, praise God. Come on, let's take a moment. Let's take a moment. Let's take a moment. You're here today. You don't have kids. You know what? You can still be an influence on others. You can still be an influence. Nieces, nephews, cousins. You can be an influence in training them. Training them. Training them. Oh, one more time. One more time. Let's come on. Let's let's just make a commitment to God right now. Let's make a commitment to God. Lord, I want to train my children. I want to train my grandchildren. Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. I love you, Jesus. I'd like to ask Brother Bruce and Sister Ashley to bring their baby and Aubrey can come too if she wants to and then any of the family that wants to come and stand behind them and with them we would love for you to do that if you all would come and stand right here in front of the pulpit this morning this is such a beautiful occasion I mentioned earlier that Jewish custom at the age of eight days they would bring 
their male children into the temple. And there they would be circumcised as a part of their Jewish religion. Mary did that for the baby Jesus. He was eight days old the first time that he in human flesh visited that temple. Hannah, as I said, brought Samuel to the house of God as soon as he was weaned. And she said, this is going to be your home from now on. She came by to visit him once a year. But she knew he wasn't really hers. He was God's. You know, brother and sister Adams, it is, it's fitting that you would bring this baby boy while the wonder of his birth still lingers upon you. Such a joyous thing, such a mystery, and yet a glorious excitement when a new life is brought into a home. And that's what's caused you to stand here today reverently and thoughtfully before the Father of all life. That's what has given you this new and compelling message of the dignity of life and the obligation of parenthood. And so the purpose of what we're doing right now is really to help you as parents to appreciate your obligation because you want to train your child in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord so that as soon as he is old enough, He's going to come to his understanding of his need for God. His need to repent of his sins and to be baptized in that saving name of Jesus and to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. I don't think I have to tell you, Brother Bruce and Sister Ashley, I think you're well aware of the fact that God has a purpose for Braylon's life. God has a purpose for him. And to find that purpose and to help him to live it out fully will be the definition of success. But to ignore it or to refuse it would mean failure regardless of how much worldly acclaim could come to him. But God has given you the privilege and the duty to guide your child in such a way as to make the will of God the greatest ambition in his life. And so it's to this task that you're called to consecrate yourselves today and to this end. We're going to dedicate your child to God. And so in accordance with the purpose for which you've come, I'm and we, we just, we do this a little differently, I think, than a lot of folks. But I've, through the years, felt like this was the best way to do it. You know, in a wedding ceremony, the couple has vows that they repeat to God. And they're making a commitment to each other and to God. And I think that we should do no less in the dedication of our children. And so I'm just going to ask you some questions. And if you agree with this, I'd like to hear both of you say, we do. 
First, do you now present your child to God in solemn dedication? Do you consecrate yourselves as parents to bring up your child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Do you promise to instruct him in the teachings of Jesus Christ, the practice of prayer, faithfulness to God, every area of Christian service to guide him in the development of a Christ-like character? And do you promise to try to the best of your ability to so shape your home life, both through family devotions, your words, your examples, so that he will at the proper age come to obey that message of Acts 2.38 and come into the fellowship of the church. Inasmuch as you've promised before God and this people to dedicate your child to God and yourselves to the task of rearing him for God, I now charge you to address yourselves faithfully to this sacred obligation with wisdom, with patience, with devotion, and to this end, may the blessing of God rest upon you, upon your home, and upon your extended family. I want to ask everyone, if you would, to join me now as we pray for little Braylon Josiah Adams as we dedicate him to the Lord. Let's, let's everybody pray.